Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. You can now add doctors to the list of those organizing in the United States of America. The Made in America gift guide making a comeback. And today on the show, what it took to go union at the Baltimore Museum of Art and the latest from the North Coast Labor Federation. Welcome to the Thursday, October 19th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, in Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. Our first guest comes from Baltimore, Maryland. That would be Leela Grothy. Leela is an associate curator of contemporary art at the Baltimore Museum of Art, where she is a very active member of her union. It's called the BMA Union, officially formed in July of last year when the essential staff who keep the museum running, that's right, keep the museum running, voted to form a union, and they are part of AFSCMEs, that's the American Federation of State, County, Municipal Employees, Cultural Workers United, which, by the way, represents more than 35,000 workers at hundreds of museums and cultural institutions around the country. In fact, I counted the list. 29 states, Arizona, California, Connecticut, District of Columbia, Florida, Hawaii, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, Vermont, Washington, and Wisconsin. That's the list, and for very good reason, because we all know unions make a huge difference. And when you compare, and this is all posted on the website, if you go to a culturalworkersunited.org, they have a number of charts on the union difference. Up to 27% raises for all staff in the bargaining unit with an average 11% raise. $2,500 bonus upon ratification of contracts. Longevity bonuses. 10% night shift differentials. And this is pretty much the stats from AFSCME on when you're union or when you're non-union. And it makes a difference. And with the museum situation, the shutdown during the pandemic, they went through a lot. Wages are low, hours are long. We'll talk about all of that and more. Later in the show, that's our segment with the North Coast Labor Federation. And we'll be checking in with the executive secretary of the North Coast Labor Federation. And that would be Davida Russell, who is a bus driver. And she's been a bus driver for 40 years two years she also is a substitute teacher this is a woman with many many hats state president of the coalition of labor union women clue vice president ohio afl-cio state executive board member president of the northeast ohio district of the ohio association of public school employees that too affiliated with AFSME. executive secretary treasurer of the north coast area labor federation trustee of the Cleveland North Shore Federation of Labor and the AFL-CIO. 
commissioned member of the Cuyahoga County Charter Review Commission. She's also a member of the Cleveland Heights City Council. What we're going to talk about is uh, the fact that the governor of the state of Ohio, Mike DeWine, recently appointed DeVita to his school bus safety task force group. And DeVita says for the first time in her 42 years as a school bus driver, someone wants to hear from school bus drivers. So she, what she did last month, she uh, set up a Zoom town hall discussion to hear from other school bus drivers in the state, what they're going through. And we've had a couple of accidents. There's an issue of seatbelts. I guess there were seatbelts. There's not seatbelts. They're talking about bringing them back and changing some of the protocol here. And we're going to zero in on that. The other issue is home ownership and DeVita. And she's done this before. She's putting together kind of like a mini town hall discussion. This is going to be on November 11th, which is actually Veterans Day. It's a Saturday. And it's going to run in the afternoon. And she's bringing all the partners, the banks, the mortgage lenders, and also people that are involved in grant applications because there's a lot of money. People struggle to pay their rent, to, uh, to purchase a home, and mortgage rates have gone up. So, But there's a lot of resources out there, and DeVita is going to talk about that as well. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. On Monday, over 500 doctors physician assistants and nurse practitioners voted to form the biggest group, the biggest group of unionized doctors in the private sector in the country to date. Can you believe this? The vote was 325 to 200. The group of doctors voted to be represented by the doctor's council which is affiliated with Service Employees International, SEIU. The vote came about after a challenging organizing campaign spread across 62 clinics in Minnesota and Wisconsin that are part of the nonprofit Alina Health System. Alina physicians have expressed similar concerns shared by healthcare workers across the country, including chronic understaffing, burnout, and compromise patient safety. Good example was what we talked about recently when, what was it, 75,000 to 85,000 healthcare workers in about a half dozen states walked out for three days, in some cases just a day. And they do have a tentative agreement that they're looking at right now. But uh, there's a lot of unrest in the uh, healthcare sector right now. The Alliance for American Manufacturing Headquarters is hard at work preparing the 2023 Made in America Holiday Gift Guide, and they need your help. We have talked about this for several years. In fact, Scott Paul, who serves as president of the Alliance, we're trying to get him back on the show here. He's had a couple of months off. But this is a big deal for the Alliance and uh, Scott asks if you have a favorite made in USA company that you think should be included in this year's guide, send them an email. Here's the email gift guide, it's all one word, gift guide at aamfg.org. Let me repeat that gift guide at aam 
fg.org. The Made in America Holiday Gift Guide is celebrating its 10th anniversary this year, and it will be bigger and better than ever. We will include USA-made gifts that are new to the list and some all-time favorites. The gift guide shines a spotlight on companies that make their goods in the U.S., and they include picks from all 50 states, Washington, D.C., and Puerto Rico. We work hard to pick an eclectic mix of items at a variety of price points, and we think there's something for everyone on our list. Over the years, many of our favorite gift guide picks have come from Alliance of American Manufacturing supporters just like you. So they want to keep that that trend continuing. So what are some of your favorite Made in America brands? Think about that. There's got to be a list in your mind right now. What American-made companies do you think deserve a little extra attention during the holidays? Drop us a line at giftguide at aamfg.org. Giftguide at aamfg.org. Now, look, I know this is a union show, and we want to see some union made gifts on that line. So those of you that are involved in making union products, this is your time to speak up. And there's many of them out there. We talk about this on the show all the time, especially during the holidays, shop union. Uh, You think about uh, footballs. There's footballs that are made right in the state of Ohio, Ada, Ohio. We talk about that during Super Bowl time. Baseball gloves, bats, you name it. These are union-made. We want to get as many union-made gifts on the Made in the USA gift guide. Let me give you that email again. It's giftguide at aamfg.org. Giftguide at aamfg.org. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about museum workers organizing in Baltimore, Maryland. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. 
SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Hey, this is Sean McGarvey, and I'm president of North America's Building Trades Unions, and I'm a proud listener of America's Workforce. I love this podcast. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. And if you missed our conversation with the OFT and Melissa Cropper, who serves as president, you can check that out on awfpodcast.com. We had that just two days ago. Right now, Let's go to the city of Baltimore, and joining us on our live line is Leela Grothy, and she is an associate curator of contemporary art at the Baltimore Museum of Art, where she is an active member of her union, a relatively new union, and we're seeing a lot of organizing at museums. In fact, uh, I counted 29 states have uh, organized museums, and it's growing. Leela. Welcome to America's Workforce. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Is that right? You did. <laughs> yeah, thank okay. you. Okay. Thank you for joining us today. You know, I always like to get acquainted with, uh, with new guests. So, so talk to me about yourself, how you got involved in museums, and uh, how the organizing began. And I'm, I'm reading here that your union was officially formed not long ago, July of last year. So uh, give me a little background on what happened here, Leela. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. So um, I've been working in uh, in the arts um, and the visual arts, really specifically, for I guess about twenty years. Um, and I've been at the Baltimore Museum of Art. I'm coming up on my four year anniversary, so I haven't been here that long. Um, although uh, I think it's longer than it feels. There were a couple of weird years in the middle of those last four years. If you know what I mean. So um, yeah. Yeah, and then um, I learned, actually, that some unionizing effort was underway. Um, I think I learned about it in summer of 21, and the unionizing effort, and the conversations internally must have started around spring of 21, and we first went public uh, with our effort to unionize in September of 21, and then had a bit of a long wait before we got to our vote, and we voted in favor of unionizing on July 14th of 2022. So I know during the pandemic, museums were shut down and uh, there was a, well, there was a lot of confusion going on uh, and wages are not that great. Let's be honest about that. But uh, did this all happen right when, when things started opening up, when you went back to work? Can you take me back to that time? Well, so, um, you know, it's a long process. <laughs> so it didn't start when we started going back to work. Uh, and, and it's not just COVID, really, that um, was the underlying influence in our, our desire and really our need to unionize. We work incredibly long hours, and we have uh, consistently low pay. And um, 
We recently conducted a survey of our bargaining unit to see how folks are, are doing, and 86% of our surveyed members say they've considered leaving the BMA because of that low pay, which, you know, that's gutting. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, there were tense working conditions after the, the COVID-19 pandemic, but there are also other aspects of the working experience that needed improvement as well. And it became clear that we needed a seat at the table. We had no real avenue to speak to some of our concerns as workers. And unionizing is an incredible way to really to create the table at which you then have a seat. Mm-hmm. You, you want to have a seat at the table. Yeah, no doubt about yep. that. Yep. When, um, when they found out, that you uh, wanted to organize, and I, I want to hear the story because uh, you know what goes on. They, they they pull out all the stops here. Why do you need a union? You know, you know. Or sometimes they'll say, "Well, we'll raise your pay. You don't need a union." You you know all the tactics that go on out there. Uh, can you uh, can you tell us what happened at the Baltimore Museum of Art? Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. Because, as you mentioned, what did you say, 28, 29 states have unionized museums and cultural sector yeah, organizations? Mm-hmm. Um, so we know that there have been some really high-profile unionizing efforts in the private sector at other, institu- at other uh, organizations, right? Star- uh, Starbucks and uh, Amazon, things like that. The cultural sector, these unionizing efforts, uh, I don't know of a single one that has not happened. Folks decide they want to unionize, and they go to the vote, and they win <laughs> because the need is so great and the problems yeah. are endemic to the field. So um, it, 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 is, it is kind of wild that uh, we have to go through this, this long slog, this process of of convincing folks that this is something that will benefit both the workers and the museum. But nonetheless, uh, we did have to go through that process. Uh, it was, we went public, meaning we told our director that we have an intention to unionize. And it was, what is that, nine months later, between September 21 and July 14, 22. It's, it's math time, so I can't, <laughs> I can't do that math, but I'll just tell you. It was many months, and um, that time was spent with a lot of negotiation about what our bargaining unit would be composed of. We wanted it to be every worker at the museum. And the museum was hanging on to, quite frankly, some archaic notions of who uh, should be in a bargaining unit, and uh, specifically security staff. There is an old sort of union-busting policy that's, I think, 100 years old that states that union, that uh, security staff should not be a part of unions. I think it has something to do with security being brought in to uh, bust up picket lines or something about security being required to protect management. None of those things are... um, really what we anticipate being the situation at an art museum and our security protect artwork. So um, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a long process of convincing. We had the city deeply involved in favor of our unionizing effort. The mayor reached out and said, I want you to do this quickly. Um, we had other 
other uh, members as well on the board that were in favor. We eventually got there, but it, yeah, I, I wish it had happened a little bit sooner because we are now in uh, the first contract negotiating phase, and that is also a very long phase. Oh, yes, so, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, w- that was my next question. Um, are, are they playing real, real hardball there to get that first contract? You know, we're really far apart right now. Um, but that doesn't mean that we won't get somewhere. They are willing to meet with us pretty regularly, and the overall sort of attitude at the table is it's, it's kind of pleasant. That doesn't mean we agree, though. Uh, there are some real sort of fundamental priorities that we don't agree on, and it's interesting because not just the BMA but all cultural institutions often present themselves as these progressive entities and um, it's, it feels counterintuitive that you do have to argue for so many of the aspects of, of this work of unionizing. And at the BMA, our mission statement actually states pretty clearly that they dedicate themselves to social equity in every decision, they say, from art presentation to interpretation and collecting, but also to the composition of the board, to the staff, and the volunteers, and that's like publicly stated that is their mission. So a core function of unions is to ensure that everybody has equitable access to opportunities and resources and rights. In my mind, social equity refers to the pursuit of fairness and justice and equal opportunities and providing people with what they need to thrive. And a core function of unions is to ensure that everybody has equitable access to opportunities and resources and rights. And I see our work as aiding in fulfilling that mission that the BMA states. Because this equity is not happening on its own. And when does it ever? No, you have to fight for it. You know, I'm glad you brought this conversation up because there are corporations, uh, and you mentioned museums, but the Starbucks of the world, Trader Joe's, and they, they have this like social justice platform. You know, this is a cool place to work we treat our workers fairly, do they really? Obviously not because we're seeing a lot of organizing going on and they're fighting the union tooth and nail. But it's important that you bring that up. And I think a lot of companies, big companies, hide behind that mask. Leila Grothy joining us on our live line today and she is an associate curator of contemporary art. We got to mention the website here and they are affiliated, by the way, with the American Federation of state, county, and municipal employees. Here's the website. It's culturalworkersunited.org. Culturalworkersunited.org. We'll continue with Leela later in the show. We're going to check in with Davida Russell on behalf of the North Coast Labor Federation. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A.org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan, 
we build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great iron worker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Iron Workers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at USW.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, and we're getting plenty of them. So thank you very much. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org. Good folks over there. Let's go back to our live line and rejoin Leela Grothy, who is with the Baltimore Museum of Art Union, culturalworkersunited.org. And uh, they're part of the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees Cultural Union, Cultural Workers United. And by the way, they represent more than 35,000 workers at hundreds of cultural institutions around the country. Saw the list here by 29 states. New York has uh, probably the most right now. I failed to uh, ask you how many members in... uh, the Baltimore Museum of Art Union. What, what are we looking at right now, Leela? Yeah, we're at about 140, I believe. 140? Um, Good. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere in, along those lines. We are losing a lot of staff right now for <laughs> all of the reasons we need to unionize. So the, the actual number of our bargaining unit sort of ebbs and flows as people leave and then hopefully get rehired. You know, we hire new staff. Well, you know, when you talk about low wages, people aren't going to stick around too long. There, there, there are a lot of job opportunities today, and, and if it's not happening, they're, they're going to be gone. I mean, we're seeing that in all sectors of employment today. Uh, you mentioned in the, uh, the first segment there that you're working on the first contract. I know that's a difficult process, so let's speak to that. And obviously, you've got a powerful, a powerful union behind you with the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. Uh, can you talk to us about what kind of tools, what kind of guidance you're getting? And I bring this up for, for a very good reason. We're seeing a lot of independent unions. I mentioned Starbucks. Now, in some cases, they're affiliated with another union, Trader Joe's. But we're seeing these independent unions. Amazon, for one, when they organized at Warehouse in Staten Island, they still don't have a first contract. And uh, they're trying to do it on their own. But uh, with a powerful union like AFSCME behind you, uh, that's, that speaks volumes. Can you kind of fill us in on what they're providing to uh, 
to lead the path to that first contract? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. I can definitely say this is my first effort being closely involved in unionizing. And I doubt there will be many other opportunities in my career to be involved in developing a union and bargaining for a first contract. It's just not every day that this happens. So I have had a front row seat to see exactly what it is that this, that asks me does for us. It's, it's astounding. Um, I, I can't believe our dues will be as low <laughs> as they are. There are all sorts of things, just expertise, right? So we have many contacts, not just one, but many contacts with the union that we can reach out to when any of us even suspects, even at this stage before we have our first contract, if we suspect that an unfair labor practice has taken place, we have someone that we can reach out to to uh, register, essentially register a grievance and sort of test against someone with a lot more knowledge and experience. Is this okay? Let's get this on the record. Do we need to do more? So that alone is an avenue um, of reporting that we simply never had before. So that is huge. But we have lawyers. We have um, we have staff. Our chief negotiator right now has 35 years of negotiating experience. He has seen so many contracts from not just the cultural sector, but other sectors as well. And has he's able to recognize this might be an interesting thing that we could get. It's, it's really, if you don't know what you could have in your first contract, you simply don't know it. And so to have these experts around us that can help provide that expertise, it really, uh, it is, it's, it provides so much comfort and so much support. And then there's things like, Graphic design, and I know that sounds silly, but social media, we have people that are dedicating to, dedicated to making sure that we look good, we look professional, and that we're, our message is getting out. I mean, it's, those are just the first things that come to mind. They do so much for us. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and that will continue here. With, uh, with yeah. the negotiating on a first contract, has anybody brought up a timetable? I mean, you're in the heat of the moment right now. I'm just wondering, say, well, here we are. We're, we're going into uh, November here. Do you think, do you think, I mean, maybe we're <laughs> really, really speculating here that anything can be done by the end of the year, or do you see this going into uh, 2024? Gosh, I, I, again, this is my first time. <laughs> So I have no idea what to expect. I do know that this thing never happens in, in, in under a year, and we are certainly on that track. So uh, it's, it's really hard to say. It's hard to speculate. But we're really at an important moment, which is we've gotten all of the other articles on the table where um, we're talking about things like um, tardiness, for example, that folks shouldn't be suspended after a couple of tardies within a sort of informal grace period, but that has happened where some folks, not all, but some folks have been suspended without pay for being five minutes late. Um, so we are trying to get issues like that on the table and agreed and formalized so we know, okay, what is the policy and is it a policy that's fair to every worker? So things like that have been discussed. We haven't agreed on all of that, but they've been discussed. And now we're really at that phase where we're talking about wages. And that's the most important part. That's the part where we're the furthest apart. So yeah. it'll, 
it'll continue. Um, and we need to just kind of inch our way closer to one another. Uh, and, but that's the process. That's why it's called bargaining. Yeah. Solidarity. How, how are we looking there? Is everybody pretty much united right now? They feel pretty good about yeah. what's happening? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Everyone, um, it's, it's hard because we can't all be at the bargaining table. So there's only a select few of us that really know what these negotiate, like what it is that we're doing on a day-to-day basis. We are meeting privately in our select group and then we're meeting with management on, on other moments. So it's taking a lot of time. And I know that folks that are not involved in that effort are just really curious <laughs> to know like well, when they have the same question you do, when are we sure. going to have our contract? Yeah. Uh, so there's impatience because like I said, people are leaving the museum, uh, pretty regularly and the main reason for that is workload and pay and um, we are really looking for some solutions that help improve the experience at the museum so everyone is united in that and we recognize that this is the way to get what we need I, I know wages are so important especially with inflation as high as it's been in the last couple of years but uh, work-life balance I'm just wondering if you could speak to that I had a conversation just recently with the EOAW rep and you know what's going on there and the big issue there they're working six seven days a week 12-hour days I don't know what it is in museums but you mentioned long hours that's got to be part of the discussion right now right oh yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that was a resounding uh, yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> I mean, you were talking to a curator, so yes. Uh, we It's endemic to the field. We typically work uh, weekends. We typically work, I'm working usually anywhere between 11 and sometimes 14 hours a day, many days a week. I would say that I am typically pulling 70-hour weeks, I would say, and wow. I do not get paid to work that well, that hard. I just don't, you know, I mean, those are like doctor lawyer hours and uh, the, I, I do not receive doctor lawyer wages. So that, and I'm not special, not by any stretch. And um, so, yeah, <laughs> it's rough. And there was actually just a study published this year uh, by museums moving forward. And it collected data from almost 2000 staff members at more than 54 museums nationwide. And it was really interesting and validating, but also ultimately pretty gut-wrenching because the findings on overall employee dissatisfaction were overwhelming. And the number of folks that are considering leaving the field altogether, so not just leaving their institution, but leaving the entire field because they recognize how problematic the way of working is in these places, it's, it's crushing. <laughs> so many folks at both my museum and nationally are working additional jobs just to make a living wage, just to sort of yeah. pay standard bills. And none of us really have certain paths to promotion either. And that study really verified the, per, the lived experience of both me and all of my colleagues at the BMA. Leila Grothy joining us on our live line today, Associate Curator of Contemporary Art at the Baltimore Museum of Art Union and culturalworkersunited.org is the website. Also, I want to give the Facebook page, CWU AFSME. 
CWUAFSME, and also the Twitter handle is CWUAFSME, of course, affiliated with the American Federation of State County Municipal Employees. Well, I don't want to take too much. I mean, you're four, I don't want to make your 14-hour day a 14-and-a-half-hour day here. So just to wrap up, just to wrap up, we are in the top 1% of all podcasts in the world. I mean, this show has grown. I've been hosting this show for 25 years, and it's been broadcast since uh, 1993 we're in our 30th year and uh, it you know with everything that's going on with unions and organizing i mean the the gallup polls showing and various polls showing union favorability uh an all-time high at least the highest since 1965 there's got to be a message there's there's museum workers out there that are probably thinking like you did not long ago i need a union what what legal's message be to those individuals. I'm going to let you pick it up from there. Go ahead. Yeah, I would encourage cultural workers to keep organizing. Absolutely. And, you know, I've said this before. I really believe that even if I walked into a job and it was the most utopian, healthy work environment ever seen, I would still be like, great, let's, when are we unionizing? <laughs> because it, it, you are empowered and you have a voice and you have an avenue to speak to your work experience. And uh, unions are such an incredible vehicle to make the work life, but specifically for me, work life and the arts more inclusive and diverse. And anything we can do to encourage strong pay and benefits and help folks have an actual career for themselves in the arts and not just a job. It's, it's, I feel like unions also help create an environment where museums have a bit of a reputation for being somewhat elite, you know, um, and the folks that can afford to work in them, to be honest, don't help that message, right? It feels like a place for the privileged few. And unionizing is such an important way to improve the inclusivity of these institutions. Leela, we call that the union difference. So I am going to leave it on that note. Leela Grothy with the Baltimore Museum of Art, known as the BMA, culturalworkersunited.org, that website again. You stay safe, stay strong, stay in touch with us. I want, I want to hear about that first contract. Can we do that? Absolutely. All right. We're going to take a quick break right now. When we come back to Vita Russell on behalf of the North Coast Labor Federation. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.com. 
www.afl.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. Hi, this is Liz Schuler, president of the AFL-CIO, and I am a huge fan of Flash and America's Workforce radio and podcast. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Iron Workers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at Lyuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Speaking of which, let's go to line number two right now. And joining us is Davida Russell, who is an executive secretary for the North Coast Labor Federation, among many other titles, vice president of the Ohio AFL-CIO, state president of the Coalition of Labor Union Women, also serving as a councilwoman in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. There's more, but you know what? There's only so much time in the show to talk about the many jobs that Davida Russell has. And right now we're, we're catching her between routes because she is a school bus driver, a 42 year school bus driver. And uh, congratulations, I guess are in order for you Davida, because recently governor DeWine appointed you to his school bus safety task force group. And uh, this is this is pretty monumental because you want to hear from people in the field. And there's been a number of school bus accidents in the news. So, Davida Russell, welcome back to uh, America's Workforce. Thanks for joining us today. I have to ask you, let's start off with driving that bus. And the fact that the governor called you, that had to be a surprise, right? Oh, definitely. Most definitely a surprise. A wonderful surprise at that. So um, what, what was there, a list of people to call? And, I mean, this is the first time, I guess, they, they want to hear from people in the field. Were there others like, like oh, there's nobody like Davida Russell. Let me get that. <laughs> Let me get that clear. Perfect. But, but, but as far as were there other people, other bus drivers in the state of Ohio that, uh, that got this call, to your knowledge? Uh, I don't know. Uh, all I know that uh, the governor's office called and identified themselves. First, I was hesitant, like, hmm, you're kidding. And um, he said, no, uh, this is the governor's office, and wanted to know, are you Davida Russell? And I said, yes, and uh, said I had been recommended uh, by uh, several sources, um, uh, elected officials as well as union people, to um, serve on this committee. Uh, most people know have known me for a very long time and know that I have never been ashamed of being a bus driver. I toot that very loudly and I have my whole career because I really enjoy and respect the profession. And um, a lot of people don't view it as a, uh, you know, popular profession, but 
Uh, it's one that keeps me grounded and connected to the people, and it keeps me connected to the children. And, and there's a shortage of school bus drivers. Is is that making you work longer? Are you picking up more as a result of that shortage? And, and what do you see happening with that shortage right now, Davida? Well, yes, it's a true shortage. Shortage. We find uh, that we're not able to take as many children back and forth to school. There's a lot of uh, parent drop-offs now. Uh, we're doubling up on routes. Um, we are. Uh, we don't have any subs. We have uh, supervisors, mechanics, and everyone else driving uh, the buses to make sure our children get back and forth to school safely. Okay, so when you got this announcement, I know you did a Zoom call. We talked about it here on the show. This was last month, September 21st, to be exact. And what you wanted to do is engage all school bus drivers to hear what they're saying. Can you tell us how that went, Davida? Correct. Um, well, when I the first meeting we went to, uh, the, um, the director um, asked that uh, I engage as many drivers as I can to find out, you know, what their needs are, what around certification, recertification, around training, additional training, training that is obsolete, should not be used, and what do we think about seatbelts. So I took that very seriously and um, reached out to as many bus drivers as I could by Facebook, by emails, by uh, just people I knew, going to different depots, talking to the directors and bus drivers, and uh, actually doing a Zoom call with a survey attached for a lot of the questions that's been asked of me at, uh, at the committee. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's been going actually very well. Started off a little slow with 33 drivers. I think I looked at the survey yesterday. About 280 drivers have viewed the survey. And... Uh, are actually taking the survey uh, because it's not about unions, it's not about um, private companies, it's about the job itself of being a bus driver because so many different um, angles with different school districts when it comes to uh, driving a bus and policies and laws and things like that. So we just want to make sure everybody understands how important the job is, how safe we want it to be, and some of the trainings and things that is truly needed that we don't get and some of the training that is obsolete that we don't need. So you're collecting a lot of information and that process will continue. So I assume that you're going to take this back. I mean, what's the next step here? You're appointed to this bus safety task force. There's got to be some kind of an agenda. Can you speak to that? Sure. Well, basically um, each meeting we review each uh, portion of a driver's job for the construction of a bus, uh, the safety of a bus, um, seat belts. Um, we have uh, videos regarding, you know, having a seat belt, not having a seat belt. We've had a conversation regarding the driver's pre-trip and um, recertification around uh, trainings and different things like that. But the end goal is I will collect all of this data and present it to the committee uh, at the in our December first meeting, and okay. uh, let them know all of the information that drivers around the state is saying, and then uh, we're going to have a panel of bus drivers and aides to uh, have a Q and A with the panel, and hopefully, out of um, this commission or committee, 
that uh, we will come up with some recommendations for the governor to either put in law or to change in uh, a policy. So right now in the state of Ohio, there is no law on the books dealing with seat belts on buses, which, which is kind of uh, shocking to me, considering that, you know, seatbelts are mandatory. If you get pulled over, you're going to be fine for not wearing your seatbelt in your car or truck. But on a bus, it's that's not the case. Is that is that correct? That's correct. Uh, actually, the school bus is one of the safest vehicles on the road. And the way they're constructed with the um, seat and the high back, it provides a lot of safety for the children on the bus. So uh, at one time they did have seat belts, and um, I don't think it was ever a mandate, but at some time some districts had seat belts, but they kind of removed them because uh, they found it was actually a safety hazard at the time because of, you know, with the old-fashioned seat belts where you just, with a lap belt. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. But they don't, they didn't have the, the shoulder harness type of thing. Correct. So, so Correct. there's a possibility things may change here because there, there have been a number of accidents. Uh, one in, I believe it was in Southern Ohio. And mm-hmm. so there's, there's some discussion on this right now as a school bus driver for over four decades. I mean, I'm, this is some some concern here that we're talking about with regard to this we want to make sure these are our kids these are these are babies here you want to make sure right. when when they leave home in the morning they're going to come home at night that's what this is all about so yes. well congrats congratulations that's quite an honor i just need to thank the governor for actually having the vision to actually put an actual school bus driver on the commission uh to hear from someone who actually does the work even yeah. if it was me or anyone else well, you know, look, we're speaking with our union brothers and sisters here, the, our audience, and it's so important that they that we get engaged in the discussion. It's important that auto workers have part of the uh, dialogue going on with the companies on the assembly line so they know what's going on. Police officers yeah. have to be engaged in management because they're out in the field. I mean, we talk That's about right. that day in and day out. So it, it's only appropriate that the governor of Ohio said, hey, Davida Russell, I need your help on this issue. And hopefully he'll do that within various parts of, uh, of the state. So that's good. That's good. We'll definitely stay on this. Let's, uh, let's switch over to, uh, I know you're uh, a city council person over in uh, Cleveland Heights, and you're a big advocate. I remember talking to you the last time you were on about home ownership. And, it's so, and you know, with the price of homes today, it's, it's really, really difficult for working families to own a home and then you've got landlord tenant issues as well those are trying to get off rent but i understand you have an event coming up here to help people uh when it comes to owning a home can you uh, can you tell us about that sure actually this is my second uh, event called pathway to home ownership and basically what i've done is partnered with a lot of lenders and um financial institutions to help educate homeowners, people who like to buy a home, who are tired of, tired of renting, to educate them on the process and what they need and how they go about it to get a yes for a pre-approval. So the event will be November 11th, and it will be at the um, Urban City Code at 3096 Maysville Road in Cleveland Heights. Uh, from 1 to 3, but doors open at 1230. We will have refreshments and food. 
for people who come. The first hour or two will be around educating people on what you need to do and how you need to talk to a lender, what information you need to bring with you. If you're able to buy a house now, if you're not, realtors will be there as well if you're ready to be able to take you out and show you homes. Uh, financial institutions like Key Bank, PNC, U.S. Bank, uh, Cross Country Mortgage, uh, Keller and Williams, uh, many more. Uh, Start Right uh, Development Corporation. Uh, we have quite a few who are have partnered with us to put this event on, and we plan to do it um, at least twice a year, so that people understand and get more educated on their um, their rights and. Um, their housing and all of those things will be there to make sure that they know what they need to do to purchase a home and what is out there. You know, it's a lot of grants and a lot of homeowner down payment assistance programs that are being offered through a lot of the banks and mortgages, mortgage companies to assist people in purchasing home. And a lot of people are not aware of that. And um, home ownership is generational wealth. And you can pass it on to your families and with rents, being so high now, nowadays, it's almost worth looking into purchasing a home. Again, the date on that is November 11th, which is Veterans Day. That's a Saturday, and that's yes. going to go from 1 to 3 p.m. Now, do people have to pre-register for that? What's, what's your, what, what are the nope, guidelines you just on that? Show, you just show up. You just show up, and we will have a group of people there to take you through the educational process, and then you will have an opportunity to speak one-on-one -on -one with the lender institutions who are be on site to talk to you about your own personal um information and to help you through the process. Can you give us that uh, address one more time, Davida? Sure. The address is 3096 Mayfield Road, Cleveland Heights, Ohio. That's the corner of Mayfield and Lee Road. There you go. Mayfield and Lee, 3096 Mayfield Road. Again, that's going to be Saturday, November 11th from one to three. Well, I'm going to let you go. I know, I know there's a bus that needs your attention right now. So you take care. Congratulations again on that appointment by the governor and uh, we'll talk down the road. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Flash. You have a good day. Once again, Davida Russell, executive secretary of the North coast labor federation. That'll be it for another edition of America's workforce coming up tomorrow. We'll hear from the American Legion and the Alliance for Retired Americans. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.